0: This is Jim Weber from LostLetterman.com, and I am joined by the managing editor, Jordan Robinowitz. Uh, We are back here for Lost Letterman podcast number 21 after week 11 of college football, and I think it's safe to say that we are narrowing down the the, uh, field for the college football playoff after Stanford and Baylor went down, and I think everyone will look at it, and it doesn't really matter what the college football rankings say. I think you say Clemson, they win out, they're in. Ohio State or Iowa, they win out, they're in. Alabama or Florida, although I think no one expects Florida to beat Alabama in the SC Championship game. Whoever emerges from the SC Championship game, they're in. And Oklahoma State, if they win out, they're in. But if one of those teams were to stumble, Notre Dame and Oklahoma are now waiting in the wings. And Oklahoma could control its own destiny if they beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater. And that's really what it comes down to is who has the better case between Oklahoma and Notre Dame. You could also say Michigan State might be in there as well. Um, But we'll just focus on Oklahoma and Notre Dame for right now. So just before I let you weigh in on this, the case for Oklahoma is... Uh, Notre Dame's best win so far is over a USC team with an interim head coach. Oklahoma's had a much tougher schedule, and they will have won in Waco and Stillwater in the last three weeks to get in the playoff. Notre Dame's case is our only loss came by two to the number one team in the country on a failed two-point conversion. We crushed Texas in week one, who Oklahoma lost to, and we will have won at Stanford in the last week which obviously doesn't look as good now that Stanford just lost to Oregon. But I'll leave it to you. There is obviously no right answer uh, as to which which one deserves
1: in the field, but who would you say? I'm going with Notre Dame right now. I think I'm looking at particularly uh, uh, at when each of the teams played Texas. Oklahoma on a neutral site loses to Texas by a touchdown. Uh, Notre Dame – crushes them at home, first week of the season. Uh, you, the easiest way, or the clearest way, is to look at how they fared against common opponents. Yeah. And I believe Texas is the And only I know one. that's a big
0: factor for the committee.
1: Right. Uh, and I'm trying to get myself in their mindset. Yeah, I, Notre Dame only lost... Their only loss was by two to Clemson. And that was when they missed the two-point conversion at the end of the yeah. game in the pouring rain... Uh, In Clemson, obviously a super tough place to play. And uh, they've had a few games close since, but uh, they beat a good Temple team on the road. They beat a pretty good Pitt team on the road. This is to take nothing away from Oklahoma, but they, uh, besides maybe the Tennessee game on the road and uh, the Baylor game this weekend haven't played anyone that impresses me yet and it's the Big 12's issue Uh, we saw from how Baylor was getting treated and Oklahoma State uh, was getting treated before Baylor lost but I would still give Notre Dame the edge over Oklahoma even if they do both win out and Mm -hmm. Oklahoma's got two tough games coming up uh, home against DCU and at um, Oklahoma State Rebellum obviously but Uh, I'd give it to Notre Dame if they went out. Now, just speaking
0: from a Notre Dame fan's perspective, not that I am one, but this is what they would say, uh, or excuse me, from an Oklahoma fan's perspective, is, hey, Notre Dame has only played, uh, only beaten Georgia Tech, who has gone down the tubes, and uh, beat Temple, who lost to USF this past weekend, and so the best win outside of USC might be at Pitt, and Pitt, you know, while their record isn't very bad, is not a world beater. I mean, their best win, I guess, is Duke. Um, I mean, the the ACC their the division they're in is not very strong. So uh, Pitt hasn't had to play Clemson or Florida State. So that that's kind of where I think Oklahoma fans come in, which is. Wow. If really, Clemson or USC with an interim head coach and Stanford, once they have nothing to play for, is your best wins, why should you be in the playoff?
1: It's a good point. And the uh, Stanford game definitely took a hit for Notre Dame. I saw some arguments after uh, Baylor lost and Stanford lost whether the weekend, as it sh- as it shook out, helped Notre Dame. Because obviously Baylor losing clears a path for them. But Stanford losing to Oregon makes that game that they have in the 28th uh, loom less large. And maybe a win over Stanford isn't as impressive now in the eyes of the committee for Notre Dame. So I understand that. But you can't convince me that Oklahoma's schedule is discernibly tougher yeah, oh, up, the, up until this point. It has up to be until tough. this it's point, It's basically right. based off the last three. But games. even TCU now, on their third-string quarterback. Uh, yeah, not, well, we're not sure if Boykin will play, but right. they looked
0: really shaky in beating Kansas, and you don't know if Dotson or Boykin will
1: play. Right, so. so, I mean, they're not as tough an opponent anymore. I wouldn't say Stanford has nothing to play for because there's still the, the Pac-12 title game berth yeah, and uh, a, New Year's, a New Year's Six Bowl. <laughs> So, um I just can't be convinced that Oklahoma's schedule was discernibly tougher and is you know TCU and Oklahoma the Oklahoma State on the road are objectively tougher than Boston College at Fenway and at Stanford. But it's still a veritable toss. Yeah, to by me. the
0: way, quick aside, someone keeps asking me if it's a northeast thing that you call Oregon Oregon. I go back and forth. <laughs> okay. I go back and forth. Okay. So there's no, like, uh, geographical dialect there. It's just on a whim, what do you feel like?
1: Whatever whatever strikes me uh, <laughs> on a particular day.
0: Okay. Uh, so I'm going to lay out my argument, which is I, th- I would personally put in Oklahoma because I think if you win at Baylor and at Stowater and BTCU sandwiched between that, uh, you also have a win over West Virginia, who's not looking that bad. And you have a win over Tennessee, who didn't live up to the preseason expectations. But that would be five wins over ranked teams when the two teams played. Uh, whereas Notre Dame right now has, I think, one win over a ranked team uh, when they played them. Uh, let me let me check that real quick. Uh, but I think the committee we'll put Notre Dame in because we've already seen that the committee has no respect for the Big 12. I think, you know, we've seen that the committee is willing to flip teams in the final rankings, but I think if Notre Dame's only loss, I I think they're big on common opponents and they're big on, uh, you know, quality losses, quote-unquote, as we like to say.
1: And that's right there in Notre Dame's favor with Texas and Clemson. Yeah,
0: and and the common opponents. Like, I think if you go by committee criteria – I think the, the pick is Notre Dame. If you go by who would you take on a neutral field, assuming that uh, Notre Dame beats Boston College at Stanford and Oklahoma beats TCU and wins at Stillwater, I would 100% take Oklahoma. It just feels like this team is clicking on all cylinders right now at the perfect time, and Notre Dame is just kind of – I'm not saying they're playing poorly, but you know when they beat Temple by four and then Temple loses to USF – then they beat Pitt. That was a good win but over not-a-great team. And then the Lake Forest game, that was ugly. That was really ugly. So, I, I don't know. By the way, Notre Dame has two wins over ranked teams when they played, but Temple has now fallen well out of the top 25 because of the USF loss. So sure, and I think Navy has probably gotten better since
1: they played. That, that's
0: true. So, yeah, I, I guess that's – and it's also kind of dangerous to look at the transitive property and say, like, so for Texas, for example – You know, they crushed Texas when they were completely disoriented. Tyrone Swoops was still a quarterback. Yeah, Tyrone. And then uh, Hurd came in for the Oklahoma game. It was Red River rivalry. You know, all the records get thrown out the window. So I would hate for it to come down to that um, because I think those those were two different Texas teams that showed up for those two games. But I think that's a a huge uh, ace in the hole for Notre Dame, which is, hey, you look at common opponents, we won by 35, and they lost. So what are we talking about here? So it'll be interesting to see. The other thing is, there's no guarantee that any of these other teams, I think Alabama has the easiest road. Uh, Charleston, Southern, Auburn, and then Florida. I think that's a pretty easy road. Clemson, I don't trust against North Carolina. And then Ohio State or Iowa. Iowa could lose against Nebraska uh, and then go into the Big Ten title game. And then Ohio State could easily lose to Michigan State or Michigan. Or Michigan. I mean, we or, spoke— Or like,
1: Iowa. Right. We spoke last week that we said Baylor had the hardest schedule of all the undefeateds remaining. Yeah, and they lost, yeah. and then Ohio State was, was second hardest. And so yeah, it's tough for them. Yeah,
0: so, uh, you know, we're arguing between Notre Dame and Oklahoma. There's a very good chance both of them could get in sure. if they went out. So, sure. you know, it, it's funny because people say it all sorted itself out, but we can't help ourselves from debating these two things, which in the end may not matter. Uh, But moving on from Notre Dame and Oklahoma, I think another huge storyline is Texas and Charlie Strong and how the wheels are just coming completely flying off of this program. And when uh, Jared Hurd came in the game, uh, I think against Cal, and they almost lost that game, then people said, okay, well, at least we found... We almost won
1: the game. Yeah, we almost
0: won that game, but Nick Rose blew the extra point. And then Oklahoma State, they blew because of the punt. They said, okay, we still got a quarterback. But then you lose by 43 to TCU. Uh, It looks like things are back on track by beating Oklahoma and Kansas State. But then you get shut out by Iowa State. You beat Kansas, which means nothing. And then you lose by 18 to West Virginia. Then you're looking at now they have Texas Tech and at Baylor. And this could very easily be a 4-8 season. And the question becomes... I don't think Charlie Strong gets fired, even though there'll be a new AD, who knows what he will do. But I think the question becomes, will Charlie Strong consider leaving Texas to go to a place, another job, like Miami, for for example, for the job security of being at a new place with a new contract, as opposed to going into 2016, when basically he he seems
1: like a dead man walking? Your thoughts on that? Charlie Strong seems... To me, like a guy who wants to finish a job he started. And despite everything that's gone south for Texas this season, he still theoretically still has the resources and money of a Texas program where maybe in year three things start coming together and coalescing and... You know, it, it was two crazy special teams plays away from being six and four at this point, and bowl eligible instead of four and six. And getting shut out by Iowa State is a bad look. Um, and that loss to West Virginia this weekend was a bad look. But to me, he doesn't seem like the type of guy who is going to bolt somewhere, especially if it's Miami, which doesn't look any better than the Texas job based on just what we saw this weekend and earlier this season doesn't seem to me like the type of guy who is going to bolt despite uncertainty at his current job because especially in Austin like he it, when, when you succeed in Texas it's cliche and it's trite but I feel like success there or a success at a Notre Dame or a USC or an Alabama is just different from success in other places uh, it carries more weight for those fans so he he feels like a guy who wants to at least try finishing a job he started.
0: yeah i i certainly i think charlie strong will stay 100 percent because he seems like a very proud guy that wouldn't you know i wouldn't resign and tuck his tail between his legs and leave if if i were him i would do that i have i don't have much pride so i would be willing to walk out of there now the, the tradeoff for him is that he makes $5 million a year, and he's got three years left on the deal. So that would be, if he were to, to resign because a place like Miami would never pay the buyout, then he would have to be leaving $15 million on the table. Now, let's assume that Miami pays him $3 million, $3.5 million a year. We're still talking about $4.5 million difference. So that's a, that's a huge chunk of change he'd be have, have to give up. But my argument would be, look... I, if I go 4-8 and eight and I look above me and I see Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Texas Tech should be pretty good next year. Uh, West Virginia has, is better than people thought this year. So am I really going to go out and win, I don't know, eight or nine games next year with, with this roster? I, I don't see it happening. So I would say I would much rather go to a place like Miami. I know that I'll kill it in recruiting in Florida and South Florida, which I've always done. I'll have more job security because this place is a wreck and uh, this is a place I could be at for the rest of my career as opposed to if I get fired at Texas, then maybe I take a year off, then maybe I take a group of five job and then it's, you know, the, the climb back up to get to a job I want to be at the rest of my career. So I, I don't know, you know, this is projecting. I don't know what will happen the last two games. Let's say he beats Texas Tech at home and then pulls a stunner at Baylor well then all of a sudden, you know, they're six and six and they go to a bowl and no one's talking about this. But, you know, based off the Iowa State loss and the West Virginia loss, I have a hard time believing they'll beat either one of those two teams left on the schedule. And I just think it would be uh, at least on the table to think, wow, I could be I could just kill it, Miami recruiting, not have everyone talking about how they're already looking for Tom Herman. But I think that really wears on a coach for to sit there a whole year. And someone to say, we can't wait till we get Tom Herman. And they bring out the t-shirts and all that stuff. You saw how it went with Mac Brown. Uh, To go through that for a full year, I think is a a really hard way to live. So that's just something I I would put out there if if they end up going four and eight. Uh, The next thing I want to talk about, which is tied into this, is Tom Herman is by far the hottest coach in college football not only is he undefeated, comes back from down 20 points in the fourth quarter with his third-string quarterback. I think that was the, the first team to win a game this season down yeah. 20 points in the fourth. Yeah, and, and to do that against Justin Fuente, the second hottest coaching name in the group of five, is just incredible. And I think he can now pretty much name his price um, and where he wants to go. But it gets a little complicated because you look at USC, that's the top job, Uh, I don't know if they think they would be above hiring a one-year coach out of Houston. And two, Clay Helton is doing a pretty good job, so I don't know if they want to hang on to him. Then Texas, if Charlie Strong either were to get fired from the new athletic director, which I don't think will happen, but it's possible, or if he were to leave. And then I'd say the next best jobs are South Carolina, Virginia Tech, Miami, Missouri. If Georgia were to open up, that would be a really good opportunity I don't know, where do you see
1: Tom Herman right now? I can't really put my finger on it. USC made the most sense to me, but the thing about Herman is he's not tied down to any particular region of the country. Yeah, um, he, he went to school in California,
0: spent a long time in Texas, was at a, was in
1: Ohio recently, so he, he's been kind of all over the place. Right, so you can't pin him down to one particular program or area of the country. USC still makes the most sense for me. Uh, he's he's kind of the... He became the splash hire a USC would look for. Uh, Clay Heldon is doing a great job, and we wrote a piece last week about why USC should hold on to him, and I don't think I'd be opposed to them doing that either. But to me, Herman, that seems like the best fit for him. With the you know, a uh, footnote that there really isn't a best fit for him.
0: Yeah. I, I guess, so I've thrown out there that I think the perfect, uh, you know, game of musical chairs is Charlie Strong moves to Miami. Tom Herman comes into to Texas. You know, they already won him there. He spent a long time recruiting in Texas. I think he would kill it right away. Um, but if that doesn't happen – uh, I, th- I I think it's going to be hard for USC to get rid of Clay Helton because his only loss is to Notre Dame in his first week, and he played them tough. All, he do- all he's done since then is win. If he beats UCLA, how do you possibly get rid of him and bring in another unproven guy? I mean, they did it to they Orgeron. Did it to or- they did it to Orgeron, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. But I'm going to say either Texas. I know South Carolina wants him, um, but I'd say it's a step down. From the Georgia job, I think Georgia is the clear number two job if it comes open. And I think fans are clamoring for a breath of fresh air, which I think Tom Herman would be. He doesn't really have ties to Georgia. It's just a phenomenal job. So I'm going to go with either Texas or Georgia, depending on what happens with Charlie Strong and Mark Richt. Um, But it'll be interesting to see because... I kind of liken this to free agency, where everyone's waiting for that top free agent where they go, because no one wants to sign the second best free agent if they could have had the top one, and it sets kind of the market value. So it's going to be a domino effect. Once Tom Herman gets hired, then it's, okay, where does Justin Fuente go? Where does Dino Babers go? Where does uh, P.J. Fleck go? So I think that's definitely the, the name to keep in
1: mind. And some people say he'll stay at Houston. Uh, for another year. But. I, I can't see it. I, I mean, he's done a great job there. And uh, there was the whole thing with letting the linemen ride in first class. And he's just yeah. created – I mean, they're 10-0. and 0. They'll probably be undefeated and I think be – they yeah. have a tough game against Navy. But, I mean, I think they're the group of five rep after what they did against Memphis this weekend. Uh, as, and then he'll be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Regardless of what happens in that game – I don't think there's any way at that point he's staying at Houston. Yeah, I did
0: Well, there's just so many good jobs out there, right? That if like it looks like South Carolina would be the the safe job, like the the backup job, and that's light years ahead of Houston in terms of fan support, recruiting, prestige, conference, money. Uh, so I think I think that's the the fallback plan uh, in terms of. The opposite direction of programs, we have LSU and Les Miles, who just got pummeled by Arkansas at home after losing the previous week to Alabama and was also a beatdown. I think people are getting a little restless in Baton Rouge, and it feels like the last couple years, you know, Les Miles can't beat Alabama, Les Miles can't, you know, go better than nine and three or around that average. And now you look at them losing to Arkansas, and you say, oh, gosh, here we go again. We're going at old Miss. That could be a loss. Um, how many losses are we end up with here after we looked like we were going to be in the college football playoff? So I guess what would be your recommendation? I, I find it hard to believe they would fire Les Miles, uh, even though fans might want him to be fired after watching this happen. But what do you think LSU can do to stop this mediocrity we're seeing in Baton Rouge?
1: It feels like LSU hasn't had a star quarterback. Maybe Mettenberger was that guy, but Jamarcus Russell, (laughs) dare we speak his name, (laughs) feels like maybe I'm missing someone from across the years, but he feels like the last star QB at LSU. And I know that SEC West isn't really a quarterback division, and that's just this season, but uh, it it feels like – they were exposed as a one-dimensional team against Alabama. Alabama zeroed on the zeroed in on the run and stopped them. And then against Arkansas, they just couldn't slow down Alex Collins, and uh, Brandon Allen was efficient. I, it, to me, it comes down to personnel, and LSU has had a lot of close wins this season against some not great teams. And I don't know – I agree with you that firing Les Miles isn't – the right choice. It's weird when a program is in this stagnant place where they're not, you know, finishing in the in the bottom of the division, bottom of the conference every season, but they're not getting over that hump, and they always seem to hit a wall uh, at this point in the season. And uh, it's hard to figure out how to breathe life into a program like that. But I think it comes down to personnel, and I. I think you can even zero it in, and Fournette is obviously uh, an outstanding player, one of the best in the country still, but I think having a star quarterback, uh, we've seen what it's done for LSU in the past, can't be overstated enough.
0: Yeah, so I just want to point out that Matt Flynn was there when they won the national title in 2007, so let's not forget about our boy Matt Flynn. Uh, But I I totally agree that the quarterback, and you watch Brandon Harris continue to struggle, is a huge problem. I think coaching has a big part in that. If you remember TCU, before they brought in Doug Meacham and Sonny Cumbie, he wasn't even playing quarterback. He was at a wide receiver because he was just such a bad fit for what they were trying to do. So I I think he has to look at Gary Patterson and Bob Stoops and – Gary Patterson went to the air raid offense when they were really struggling, and Bob Stoops went back to the air raid offense this year. And all of a sudden, their offense is gangbusters under Baker Mayfield. Um, it's night and day uh, between what they have been. Now, I don't think LSU will ever go to the air raid, but maybe they bring in a guy that runs the spread, and you know they can do what uh, Auburn did with Cam Newton, and they can, you know, they don't have to throw the ball a ton. They can do you know running with the quarterback and Leonard Fournette. But I just think they need to stop bringing in that pro style offensive coordinator. It was Gary Krodin, then it was the former offensive line coach. Now it's Cam Cameron, and it's just you know there was a there was a Cam Cameron brought some life into the offense for a couple years, but now it's kind of back to being a thud. And the problem is Les Miles is so stuck in his ways that I have a hard time thinking he would say, hey. You know what I need to do? Follow what Bob Stoops and Gary Patterson did. I think he's going to say, we just need to execute better. And, you know, our offensive line hasn't performed well the last two weeks. If we just, you know, coach up the offensive line and just keep running it harder, then,
1: you know, our offense will be better. And that's the problem with winning eight or nine games a season as opposed to four, five, or six. You're like, oh, we're so close. Right. He's (laughs) convinced that it's one or two games that could have shaken out a different way is the difference between an eight-win team and an 11-win team. But you just saw against Arkansas and against Alabama that they got smacked. It's not – it wasn't a play that went one way or another. Yeah. I I agree with you that they need a complete culture change on offense uh, and – they're, they're trying to beat Alabama, specifically, at Alabama's game. Yeah. And we've seen over the last however many years that it's just not working. Yeah, the sad thing
0: is, I understand when you can't beat Alabama at their game. When you can't beat Arkansas at their game, that that's problematic. Because Arkansas, is they lost to Toledo. Yeah. Um, and they came in to Death Valley at night, which is probably the toughest place to play in America, and just beat down LSU. Um, and we saw that last year with Mississippi State beating them down in Death Valley. So this is not a one-time thing. And hopefully, for Les Miles' sake, uh, he reinvents himself on offense in order to uh, get back to the way things were. You know, when when he won a national title there back in two thousand seven. So last thing we want to talk about is a cameo of from Bo Pelini at Youngstown State and. It really doesn't surprise anyone that he has not gone to any anger management or calmed down at all, but it was just wild seeing the video of him at the FCS level blowing up in the middle of the game and then blowing up after he got two unsportsmanlike penalties that helped doom his team in an FCS game, an important FCS game. And I think I'm wondering if you're the athletic director or you president Jim Tressel. Do you come in? Do you suspend him? Do you just give him a talking to? I think a talking to at this point doesn't really do much. And it's hard because you're suspending him. And if, if you suspend him, then it's, well, what, you knew what you were getting. How can you suspend him for doing what you thought he was going to do? And that's
1: what it comes down to for me, if I'm Tressel or the AD. Well, you hired Bo Pellini. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy is infamous for his uh, his sideline demeanor and his coaching style. And that's probably why you brought him in. To give some context to the situation, uh, North Dakota State, the number two team in the FCS, apparently was aided by a pass interference on a previous drive to score a go-ahead touchdown. They're up 27-24, so Pelini is still a little rattled from that call. And then he gets flagged for two unsportsmanlike penalties. His team was in had good field position. They had 30 seconds to you know, go 30 or 40 yards to get into field goal range and force overtime against uh, a great team. And they're only, you know, they were uh, 5-4, and so it would have been a huge victory for them. And Pellini just let his emotions get the best of him, as he does, and uh, put his team at fourth and 33 from its own six-yard line. So, uh, I I don't do anything. I mean, yeah, yeah, give him a talking to, whatever, but... Uh, This is Bo Pelini, and this is who you hired. I
0: I agree. I don't think you do anything because of the exact reasons you listed. Now, I will say this. I don't see this ending well at Youngstown State. This was the school that was so proud of Jim Trestle in the sweater vest and doing things the right way. He's back as the president because he's so beloved there. Now you got a guy dropping F-bombs, ripping players, ripping referees. So I think this is just kind of the the first red flag, and I think it will get worse from here. And you'll see, you know, the next time it happens, there'll be friction in the athletic department with the president. And I just think this is a, a ticking time bomb waiting to go off again. I guess it already went off. So, I don't know. It's unfortunate because, I like think everyone wants to see Bo Plini succeed at the FCS level because he's, he's entertaining. Uh, and he brings life to the FCS and makes it, you know, worth paying attention to. But I just see no other way uh, than this ending, ending badly, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you next week. And what is another monster weekend with only two weeks of the regular season left?